Are you good with people? Maybe you're organized or have a knack for numbers. Well, then chances are you've got skills that could lead to a new career. A Google Career Certificate can help you get a foot in the door with top employers in fast-growing fields like IT support, project management, data analytics, and user experience design. It's professional-level training developed and taught by Google employees. And it's all online so you can learn around your schedule. Put your skills to work. Go to grow.google slash certificates. Heard the call to build your small business? Make it happen with a .NET domain name, the place for dreamers for 30 years and counting. Visit keepdreamingup.net for tips and advice. Whether you're just getting started or looking to grow, that's keepdreamingup.net. Hi, and welcome to our podcast, The Pollsters. I'm Margie O'Mara, Democratic pollster with the bipartisan firm Purple Strategies. And I'm Kristen Soltis-Anderson, Republican pollster with the firm Echelon Insights. And each week we bring you the latest polls driving the news in politics, tech, entertainment, and pop culture. So thanks to all of your feedback. You guys got what you asked for, which is now two episodes a week. Early in the week, we're going to release an episode that just has an interview. It's not going to have polling briefings. It's not going to have funny stuff. It's just going to have... Well, sometimes the interviews will be funny. The interviews could be funny, but it's not going to have like a wacky poll at the end. It's just going to be an interview. So we did our first one this week. Those are going to be labeled with the uh, with the letter I, so like episode 54I for interview. And we had one this week, which po- folks seem to pretty uh, to like a lot, with uh, John Aristotle Phillips. And then we have three more in the can. So we feel like we did our homework ahead of class. Oh, yeah. <laughs> which, good, feeling, good feeling. Which is not a feeling I've had very often, but that is a feeling <laughs> I have today. Um, anyway, what are the top lines? Uh, top lines this week. Uh, super Tuesday. Was it really that super? Um, we'll take a look at how the polls matched up to the end results and take a look at what types of voters broke for each of the candidates who walked away with delegates. We'll also look at uh, the Pope and Melania Trump, two other characters who have had a role to play in this presidential election. What do voters think about them? Uh, Cosmo has a new survey out of millennial women. We will take a look at what young women are thinking about this year's election and politics. Uh, The Oscars uh, aired this past weekend. We'll look at polling about what people think about the Oscars ceremony. We're going to be talking about it on the show today. So I guess we should start first by just explaining a little bit about, well, what day of the week it is. I'm not totally sure. I think it's Wednesday, Walking Dead Wednesday. (laughs) Yesterday was Super Tuesday. Uh, Kristen was doing late night election coverage on ABC News. I was doing early morning coverage with NPR Morning Edition. The average amount of sleep we've had. We are not. We are running on empty right now. Yes. But we love our (laughs) listeners. So we are... Playing through the pain. That's to put right. This, episode this, is the la- this is the last thing we're doing. If parts don't make sense, sorry. <laughs> There's not that much we could do about that. And then we were at a breakfast this morning together where we were head to talk. So we may be saying, there may be moments where I'm saying, well, I'll say, did I already say this? Did I say this already this time or another time? We ask for your forgiveness, dear listeners. So we're sorry about that. But what did happen last night, this I'm quite sure of, is that it was Super Tuesday that you had Trump win seven states on the Republican side. And Clinton also wins seven states on the Democratic side. But that's pretty much where the similarities end in terms of how people are viewing these contests, how people in the part, each respective party is viewing the contest, what's happening with the other states that they didn't win. Obviously, you have Trump running against a variety of candidates. It's just a two-person race on the Democratic side. And let's spend a little bit more time talking about the Republican side because that's clearly what a lot of people are talking about. You had a lot of people saying – It's crazy. 
Yeah. What is happening? Right. You have Republicans now really upset about this turn of events, at least, quote unquote, establishment Republicans uh, here in the Beltway. So what do you make of the results, Kristen? Well, there are two different ways to look at it. So on the one hand, if you like Trump, what you walk away from Super Tuesday thinking is he cleaned up in so many states and uh, he's he is poised to win. He is winning. If you take a look at the exit polls among voters who prioritize someone who tells it like it is and is a political outsider. And this year, Republican voters want an outsider. They want someone that's going to shake things up. Trump is doing well with those voters. So if you are a Trump fan and you are looking for good news, you had plenty of it. Trump walks away with the most delegates um, and 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 it just, you know, winning all of those states. In fact, many states that were supposed to be, I guess, Ted Cruz states um, as a part of the Cruz Southern strategy didn't wind up uh, panning out for him. So that's the good news if you're Trump. The bad news if you're Trump, and this may seem like grasping at straws a little bit, but Donald Trump still does not have a majority of the delegates that have been handed out to this point. Uh, that last night he actually didn't get a lot of delegates in places like Texas where Ted Cruz was able to hold him off. Um, and you still had somebody like a Marco Rubio who's hanging in because he got his one win in Minnesota. You had John Kasich who almost got that win in Vermont. Everybody's going to be staying in the race. And if they all begin really ganging up on Trump, does that change things? I mean, if, if you're Trump, you are in the best position at this point to get the nomination, but there are still a lot of delegates to be handed out. The thing to watch for on the Republican side is the polling in Ohio, in Florida, in many of these winner-take-all states starting on March 15th. Because as long as we still have proportional allocation, Trump coming in first place with 35 percent and then Marco Rubio coming in second place with like 25 percent um, or Ted Cruz coming in second place with 25 percent, you know, they're still walking away with fairly similar numbers of delegates. And if a brokered convention happens and the anti-Trump forces all unite, then Trump needs to show up in Cleveland with a majority. Um, However, once we hit those winner-take-all states, if Trump wins Florida, that's 99 delegates. Just cha-ching, put them in the bank. Right. Um, Ohio, awful lot of delegates. I think it's over 100 delegates. If Kasich doesn't hold Trump off there, cha-ching, another 100 delegates in the bank. You need 1,237 delegates to walk into the convention with a majority. Uh, Trump is on the path to do that, but we still have a lot of delegates to go. Right. So that's an argument for more candidates staying in the race. That if you have Kasich and Rubio staying in the race, then you, the, if the goal is now Forget it. There's no chance that any that a number two. You can't stop him can, before the convention. Right. Can but, you stop him at the convention? You're right. The conventional wisdom for the last couple of weeks has been uh, make John Kasich drop out so that every it coalesces around somebody. Now you're in this weird moment where for the next two weeks, you actually don't want anybody to drop out because you while we're still proportional, you want all of these other people potentially bleeding votes away right. from Trump. Um you know, we've we've taken a look at polls on this show where you look at people's second place choice and for every other candidate in the field, some of those voters will go to Trump if they drop out. If Kasich drops out, it's not like all of his voters magically wake up tomorrow in love with Marco Rubio. Right. Many of them will, but some of them will go to Trump. Right. So you want the field split as much as possible before winner take all catches on. And even once winner take all 
to like starts. Um, there were some folks tweeting today that Marco Rubio should take his name off the ballot in Ohio and John Kasich should take his name off the ballot in Florida so that Rubio can prevent Trump from banking Florida's 99 delegates. Kasich can best prevent Trump from right. banking Ohio. So, but That's this, this saying, requires right? a level of coordination and like wishful magical thinking, magical thinking that's just not going to happen. Um, final thought on the Republican side. Pollsters, give yourselves a pat on the back. Hooray. You Hooray. predicted you, this. You, you, we knew this was coming. Anybody who says they were surprised by Trump's victories uh, wasn't paying attention. Um, Texas was the state where last week we talked about sort of a tale of two very conflicting polls, one showing Cruz up by 15, one showing Cruz only up by one and said, oh, does this spell trouble for Cruz? Uh, in the end, I think the margin was Cruz plus 15. So, uh, you know, the polls there were there were multiple polls telling very different stories. Stories, but some of the polls got it very right. So kudos to all the you pollsters out there who were correct. Um, Will Jordan at uh, YouGov, uh, he's their elections editor. He took a look at the Real Clear Politics poll average and compared it to Trump's actual vote percentage. And uh, the the polls were off by five in Alabama, off by three in Georgia, um, off by four in Massachusetts. Uh, off by four in Oklahoma, off by one in Texas, and off by two in Virginia. So those that that's not bad. That's margin of error when right. you're talking about how small some of these sample sizes are in these statewide. So polling may need a lot of changes as we adapt to the future, but the sky is not falling yet in election polling. We will accept your apologies, everybody, who's <laughs> all the folks who predicted hate. that polling was a disaster and that we would, you know, the polling industry was a failure and we're going to have more misses like there have been in the UK and Kentucky and elsewhere. Um, that doesn't yet seem to be the case. So if you want to apologize, feel free to reach <laughs> out to us at the pollster on Twitter and do so. Although if you're one of those, you probably don't listen to the show, but maybe, maybe you do. So, um, you know, a couple other things too on the Republican side, New York Times, well, when you have so many states with having a contest like we did yesterday, it's tough to really make heads or tails of all the online exit polls. It's hard to look at. It's hard to print out. It's hard to synthesize on the go and make a quick take on what's happening. Uh, without then re-entering everything in Excel, which obviously we've all done or, or folks do. But the New York Times has a really good graphical representation of the exit polls to compare different groups where each of the candidates over-indexes by state. And you could see the same pattern, and we'll link to it in our show notes as we always do. They did it for every Republican candidate, and they did it for both Democratic candidates across every state that had their contest uh, on Tuesday. And you could see very similar patterns emerge. So it's not like there's some completely different thing happening in one state versus the other states. It's basically the same types of patterns where Trump does best with folks who want a a candidate who's going to tell it like it is or prefer an outsider. People who decided early, uh, that's something we've seen before, too, that earlier deciders are are, uh, more likely to be Trump supporters, downscale, non-evangelical um, and folks who share his worldview on deporting illegal immigrants or prioritizing immigration or supporting a Muslim ban, all of those uh, characteristics are, are going to be more predictive of being a Trump voter. For Rubio, you're going to have opposite kinds of, uh, of th- things be salient, like someone who wants someone with political experience or who can win, uh, ab- opposing the Muslim ban, uh, a late decider, supporting a legal status to immigrants. Um, it's almost like it's the opposite 
on immigration, that a Rubio vote is the real is a real mirror image of a Trump vote on immigration specifically. Now, the Cruz piece is what's interesting about Cruz, where he siphons off votes. And I guess what makes his path a little bit a little bit less clear is that he has uh, he does well with folks who want someone who shares their values and with evangelicals. They also want someone who wants political experience. They also, in some cases, are uh, late deciders. So it's some of the demographic groups are similar to Rubio's base, and some of the demographic groups are similar to Trump's base, and that's what makes the Cruz path a little bit trickier. Um, and then Kasich, it's clear it's he's taking from that same Rubio pile together. They are the anti-anti-vote, the anti-anti-Muslim vote, right? They are, you know, folks who oppose a Muslim ban are less likely to prioritize immigration. Those are the Kasich uh, voters. So that's what makes, I think, looking at these results suggests that the Republican Party is really fractured on some of these issues, particularly around immigration and how we talk about things like race and ethnicity in particular. And I know there are a lot of Republicans today thinking and speaking publicly or thinking privately about what do we do next as a party. And, you know, I was talking to one of my colleagues here at Purple, like, what should people do? Like, if you're upset with your the party's direction on some of these issues, what should you do? Because this is, you know, not just a party difference. It's not political differences. It's like a real core American value. I, I think I saw Anthony Salvanto at CBS tweet out an exit poll finding last night where they asked of anybody who said that they didn't vote for Trump. They said, would you be fine? Would you would you accept a would a Trump nomination be acceptable to you? Uh, and three quarters of non-Trump voters said it would not be acceptable right. to them. So Trump is – there are not a lot of people that are like, I guess Trump's OK. Like you either – you're like, I like him. He's my guy. I'm down with it. Or you think he is disastrous for the party. And so it's creating this huge wedge where you know, there are – like, let's be real. Ted Cruz is not the, everybody's flavor in the Republican Party. Or right. John Kasich is not everybody's flavor in the Republican Party. And if John Kasich got the nomination, you would have some really ticked off conservative bloggers who say, "Ugh, John Kasich expanded Medicaid. He's a rhino. Uh, he's a rhino. But I don't – you know, the Republican Party has sold us out. Um, or you could have, you know, more establishment folks going like, oh, Ted Cruz is a mess because he's so, you know, he takes us on these suicide missions and blah, blah, blah. But it's hard to imagine anybody going, I'm not going to go to the convention right. because John Kasich's the nominee. Right. I'm not going to go to the convention because Marco Rubio's the nominee. I'm, even Ted Cruz, I know there's Cruz derangement syndrome and a lot of, you know, folks on K Street really hate Ted Cruz. But – Trump is just so divisive in a totally different way, in part because so many of his policy positions don't match up. Well, to the extent that they exist, don't match up with conservative positions on things. Um, and and it's, it's given – it's created this moment where a lot of conservatives are going, maybe the Republican Party is not – if the Republican Party is a Trump party, then maybe it's actually not a conservative party at all. If it's it's an identity racial politics party, a party of grievance and resentment and isolationism, not what they think of as conservatism. Right. And I think that's an interesting point. And, you know, looking at the at the exit polls and seeing how salient immigration and the Muslim ban are in how voters sort themselves – that makes me think maybe this isn't really about Medicaid expansion or 
government regulation or tax reform. Maybe this really is about race and ethnicity and identity. And if that's the case, you know, because let's face it, Trump uses hateful racist language and um, it's divisive of the party. It's bad for the country. And so, you know, I think for a lot of Republicans, the question is, you know, one, not just what do they do now, but two, how did how did we get here? How did this happen? It's also about the intensity of for folks who who cares about these issues deeply and who for whom are they not that important? So one of the findings, and again, the exit polls are, are sort of a moving target. They're always changing throughout the night. But last night, I remember seeing a number that said across all of the Southern Super Tuesday states where they asked, do you believe there should be a path to legal status for folks here illegally or should we deport the, undocu- the undocumented immigrants? And it was like 44 percent said deport undocumented immigrants, 48 percent said path to legal status. You would never know that from what you hear coming out of the race because presumably those folks that say path to legal status, that's issue like eight or nine on the importance Mm -hmm. list for them. Whereas for the folks that say deport the illegal immigrants, that's issue number one or two. Mm -hmm. And that's why you see it as a driver here um, while there, there may be a plurality of Republicans that I, I I believe there is a plurality of Republicans or a majority of Republicans who disagree with Trump's viewpoint on these issues, but those are not the issues that animate them. Mm-hmm. So here we are. Right. No, it's it's tough. It's it's very it's tough because I mean you know folks on the left were watching this last night and not even really commenting so much on the Democratic primary, but just looking. You know, with despair and confusion and worry. Rumor had it that a lot of Democrats came out in the Virginia primary to help stop Trump, which I thought, I'll send you all a fruit basket. Thank you. Yeah. I mean, well, that's the (laughs) thing. Thanks for coming and playing. Right. And that's just (laughs) anecdotal stuff, right, which I'm sure happened. But what, what, what should we all do now? Like, hey, if it was up to Democrats to stop Trump and do this, you know, well, the message hadn't quite gotten out, right? But if if that's what our plan is now, because now we're, at the, we're in a crisis situation, and let's say, you know, Democrats would be happy with whichever candidate wins, which is what the polling suggests, but no one would be happy with Trump, then let's come up with some sort of plan. Hey, we should volunteer as Democrats. Like, we'll help out. This isn't just about wanting to pick a vulnerable general election candidate, because the general election polls do suggest that Trump is vulnerable. But who knows? We don't want to figure it out. That's just it's, not- like, it's like Game of Thrones, where you've got all of these people who are fighting to control the kingdom of Westeros. But little do they know that across the, the big ice wall to the north, the White Walkers and winter is coming. And eventually, all these people are going to have to put down their squabbles over who sits on the Iron Throne, because they've got frozen zombies headed their way. Yes. Maybe. That, that sounded very compelling. <laughs> I usually fall asleep Mitt Romney, it's time to cross the narrow sea. <laughs> yes. No, I know he's, I mean, it's. it was fun for a while to have a, a parlor game. I'm like, whoa, you could have Mitt Romney run as an independent or, oh, everyone's going to write in, you know, so-and-so's mom or whatever. And But it's just really, that's not, it's not a parlor game anymore. Now we're really talking about, as I said, racist, hateful language that, you know, that is now getting airtime 24-7 from now until November, it looks like. Part of how I figured out – so by the way, at this breakfast this morning where I was with Margie, I confessed that I knew which year uh, I would be eligible for running for president 2020. The reason I know that is not because I am contemplating that. If I if I Are do you run, make news today yeah, on the pollsters, <laughs> I announced my candidacy for president of the United States in 2032 if the republic is standing. No, uh, because I was looking up to figure out if Tim Tebow would be – age-wise eligible for me. Just like if I wrote him in, just 
Tim Tebow. Save yes, us. that's good. Lead well, us to the future. Well, see, that's all fine. You just need to have a coordinated write-in. I guess it doesn't matter because you're just throwing your vote away and you're just like, I, I can't vote for a Democrat. It just, so it doesn't matter who I write in. I don't know how it works. Like if a, a write-in candidate nationwide could win – I guess that's, somebody knows the answer to that question. I don't know. Could, and could a write-in you candidate know, win electoral votes? I guess – why not? Lisa Murkowski did a write-in campaign and won back her – That's true. Uh, and, and like – and her whole campaign was based on teaching people how to spell her really like Murkowski because you had to spell it right for the ballot to count. And it worked, and she's back in the Senate. Oh, uh, yeah. So, um, what was his name? The mayor of D.C. from a long time ago who forgot, you know, he couldn't get on the ballot for re election. And so they gave out stamps with his name so you could take it into the ballot and just stamp his name on the write in line. Now, and how long ago was this? This wasn't like Fenty, right? Anthony. Um. Okay, we'll have to edit that part out. But anyway, well, so, we'll research. We'll write research. In candidates. Yeah, if, so it was maybe like twelve years ago. This might be more magical thinking. We are now engaging in magical thinking. <laughs> Where are we? <laughs> Where are I mean, what Speaking am, of magical what am thinking, I doing here? Right, Melania. Uh, no, I know. No, we got to talk about. So the, on the Democratic side. So on the Democratic side, right? <laughs> so um, on the Democratic side, so Clinton won seven states, and uh, Sanders won. Four states, and he won Vermont, which everyone expected him to win because he's from Vermont. But he also won states that they had been targeting, which included Colorado, Minnesota, and Oklahoma. And they came in pretty close to um, in Massachusetts, although it fell a little short. And that was seen. I think that was really one of the best outcomes that the Sanders folks um, could have expected. I mean, obviously, you know, Massachusetts was on the list; that would have been good too. But I think there was this thought that this was the beginning of the end for Sanders, uh, that it was just t uh, too much tough sledding uh, starting yesterday from, from now on. And how does he exit gracefully? People were kind of writing the obits on Monday afternoon. I think from looking at the results that it, it, he can continue, you know, he can continue while she clearly still has uh, has the delegate advantage and all the other advantages that she's had. The super delegate advantage with the Sanders folks are saying we're not looking at that currently. We're going to wait for a while before we start thinking about super delegates. Right now, we're just trying to convince voters. But I think there is still uh, there is still. Uh, opening here for Sanders to continue getting out his message and that the next round of states, which include Kansas and Maine, and then very importantly, Michigan, a week from now, uh, where Clinton has an advantage, but um, but there's still there's still a little bit of time. I think the folks on the Sanders team say, you know, let's keep let's keep getting our message out. Let's see if we can regain the momentum that we had from New Hampshire. And let's see if we can stay, uh, you know, stay top of mind with both with voters. Uh, well, Michigan also is going to play an interesting role on the Republican side. There was talk that John Kasich immediately got on a plane last night, left from Vermont, where he almost pulled off of his first win, uh, was headed to Michigan. Um, but right before we came in for the show, I took a look at the Real Clear Politics average of the polls in Michigan to see if Kasich's bid to try to win the – is it the Wolverine state? I guess so. I'm not very good at remembering all of those. Yeah. Appalachians. But I think that it's the Wolverine That's state. That's pretty great, actually. Uh, nonetheless, uh, the John Kasich is currently fourth in the Real Clear Politics average there. So if you're the sort of person that likes John Kasich and is looking for good news, I do not come bearing good news on that front, um, that if his strategy is to win in the Rust Belt, he is at least at the moment in the RCP average not doing so hot. Right. And, you know, and as we were talking about this sort of stop Trump group, they're not really coalescing anymore behind Rubio or – 
Kasich because Rubio's lackluster showing means like it's the that... everybody's got a case to make that they should be yeah. the last man except standing for, except for Carson. Maybe not Ben Carson. Yeah. Oh, Ben. But he can't really be blamed for being oh, a spoiler. A um, so there were a couple polls that were interesting before we got to Super Tuesday that we just wanted to touch on because they were interesting and maybe a little bit of a departure from the usual. One was our own Bloomberg Purple SEC primary poll that came out literally minutes after we pushed out our show last week. And what was interesting about this, well, basically what was interesting is that I was completely wrong because when I saw Trump go after Pope Francis, I thought I fell into that trap like, no, this is it. This is finally the thing. Like I found it. This is the thing that people are going to say, wait, that's outrageous because – Welcome to the club. It just seems like going after the sun. Like I'm, I guess I'm, I'm also falling the trap of I'm one of those liberal Democrat non-Catholics who's like, I love the Pope. You know, <laughs> The Pope is so, seems so liberal. I love and, him. And you wonder why his fave and fave among GOP primary voters is worse than Ted Cruz's and Donald Trump's. Yeah. Then I'm like, wait a second. Why, why don't Republicans – Republican primary voters like the Pope as much as I do. Oh, okay, maybe for the same reason, right? Um, so the so Pope Francis was fifty four fave, thirty five unfave, and Trump was sixty thirty seven fave unfave. This is with Republican primary voters in some of the southern states that voted Tuesday. Now we've talked about the Pope's faves on this show before. He's like a rock star. I mean, he's better than a rock star. He's the Pope, um, but that's not true, I guess, with uh, Southern with Southern Republicans. And then in the various questions about um, Pope versus Trump, right? Did you, he, you know, based on what you heard, who do you agree with more? They exchanged some comments about Mexico. Half said they agreed with Trump. That's unaided, right? Without any information. Then, then the respondents read the context or the content of each of their statements. Here's what the Pope said, that building walls is not Christian. Trump said, why would a religious leader question a person's faith? Um, Even more people agreed with Trump in that situation, in that question. 15% agreed with Francis and 64% agreed with Trump, which means that there are non-Trump voters who agree with Trump in that. Well, one, it's the Trump message. He talks about Christianity being weakened. This is weakness versus strength. It's exactly the thing that Trump loves to tap into. Um, But the second piece of this is the for a religious leader to question a person's faith. I, I I strongly suspect that, you know, as a part of the whole tells it like it is thing that is part of Trump's appeal. you got a lot of people out there who they are perhaps not, you know, outright racists, outright, you know, they're not the caricature that you would think. Um, but they believe some things where they're like, yeah, I get grief for my relatives over Thanksgiving because I don't like pushing one for English and I think that's silly and I think, you right. know, and that doesn't make me a bad person. And Trump says, you're right. You're not a bad person. Right. How dare anyone question if you're a good person or not because you're frustrated that you want to speak English. That's you should, you know, that Donald Trump is powerful because he he validates people and tells them you're a good person. Right. Don't let anyone tell you you're a bad person. And this just plays right into it. Pope's going to tell me I'm a bad person. Mm-mm. We're not in the business of saying you're a bad person for wanting to keep your country safe. It's like right. this tailor made moment. Right. For his message. Yeah, yeah. I mean, there are folks who comment. There's a video by uh, a very 
good commenter on racial issues and racial justice. And he did this great video, and I'm sorry I'm blanking on his name. And he said, look, you know, I'm not basically like I'm not going to call anyone a racist based on something, you know, based on anything you say. I don't know what you believe. Right. There are just comments that I'm going to say that comment is racist. So that's I think when I see some of these things that I always think about that, like I I can appreciate that people don't want to feel like attacked personally. Well, and then the backlash is they forgive Donald Trump for saying whatever because they're like, I'm sick of people who believe common sense things being told they're racist. Right. And I can appreciate that people don't want their character impugned. Yet some yeah. of these comments, particularly Trump's comments, well, you know, yeah. looks, they are racist and hateful. I'll go. I'll say it. <laughs> They're racist oh, and hateful. I'm so, so anyway. So, I, but I was just, nonetheless, I was just astounded that the that the Pope, who seems beyond reproach, at least to me, um, you know, is not a good vehicle to, you know, he is not going to be, I guess, the surrogate in the anti-Trump super PAC. I guess not that he would do such a thing, but I guess they won't ask him to do such a thing. Um, so let's move on slightly to Melania. <laughs> um, so Melania, you know, we got asked this question, Chris and I, yesterday, and Melania spoke. I can't remember which. What was it? The Neva- after the Nevada caucus that she spoke. I guess she doesn't typically speak at Trump's events, um, but she did speak after Nevada. And she's done some television interviews. And so I guess now it's a valid question to say, what are Melania's fave on faves? I mean, why not? Um, so overall, she is unpopular. She is, according to CNN, ORC, 24% favorable, 31% unfavorable. Um, but she is more popular among those who know her compared to Trump. So her fave to unfave ratio, she's almost even, right? But Trump is not. He's 37 fave, 60% unfave. And that those kinds of numbers reassure people who are worried about Trump being able to win the general election. Like you can't win a general election if you're just that much, if you're that reviled. Um, that's just a gamble that people don't want to take. But Melania is not quite uh, that unpopular. But among Republicans, she is basically even in terms of fave unfave compared to Trump. And she's quite popular. 41% fave, 18% unfave compared to Trump, 65-32. I mean, their, their fave unfave ratio is basically the same. And she is particularly popular among Republican women. What do you think about that? Uh, that's, I think, a really important role that she could potentially play in this race because so much – if you actually look at the exit polls from last night in state after state after state, in every single state, Donald Trump does better with Republican men than with Republican women. He still wins Republican women in many of these right. states. But right. if you're looking at the gap between the percentage of men versus the percentage of women that vote for him, women is a – it's a weak spot for right. him within the party. And so um, – I have a special request. This is a CNN poll. Jenna Jesta, if you are listening to the show, add Ivanka Trump to your next oh, yeah. battery of these. I love Ivanka. Yeah. And figure she's probably going to be president in 2032. Yeah. there's You know, <laughs> Ivanka seems very, you know, very calm, very even-tempered. She seems, you know, very likable. plenty of examples of women who uh, – come from means and who squander their inheritance and brand Paris Hilton 
And right. she did not go that path. Did you see in the New York Times, they she said, why, why did people vote for Trump? And they had a couple open ends from folks. Like, I don't know if they came from exit polls or if they did their own reporting. And somebody said exactly what you just said. They said, well, his kids are Trump. Trump's kids are really strong as opposed to Paris Hilton. That was like that was the reason for voting for Trump was Ivanka as opposed to Paris Hilton, whose parents, I, for last I checked, are not running for president. But anyway, um, so, yeah, I think that's pretty interesting. I have a pollster friend, Democrat, who posted on Facebook, can I still buy Ivanka Trump shoes? <laughs> or is that my supporting Trump candidacy if I buy something made by Ivanka Trump? My my literary agent uh, was the editor on Ivanka Trump's book, wow. The Trump Card. So, But I've, I've not read it yet. Now I kind of need to read it. I enjoyed reading Art of the Deal. I wonder if this is any different. It's probably, I would imagine, not. You know, it won't have as many outlandish claims, right? I, I, I'm, I'm not going to like get advice that's going to guide my career from here on out. <laughs> oh, well. Maybe, maybe. So, staying with the ladies briefly, um, Cosmo did a poll of millennial women who are part of their. I guess it's from their Cosmo.com newsletter subscribers, um, and they talked to about a thousand millennial women. They did this with John Della Volpe who works with the Harvard Institute of Politics, who we like. He does great stuff. He does a lot of great work friend with of the show. friend of the show. He does great work studying millennials. Um, and they found things that probably would not surprise you that are particularly unique to millennial women either, which is that, you know, a, uh, divergence between people who think Clinton is going to win, but they would prefer Sanders, that that's exacerbated with even younger millennial women versus older millennial women, that issues like health care, reproductive rights are top priorities, but so is national security, jobs, and racism in terms of the top of their uh, top of their list. They have a question, which we would quibble with in terms of how they asked about um, the uh, Supreme Court vacancy. Should president nominate whomever he wants? Should he nominate a consensus pick or should he wait for the next president to pick a nominee? As we discussed a couple, at least a couple shows ago, it's not that people think that Clinton – I mean that Obama should wait. It's that they think that the Senate shouldn't take action. You know, people think that Obama has the right to do what he likes. Nobody's going to be upset with Obama for um, nominating who uh, – you know, doing his job by nominating. So, um, so we might have some quibble with that question. But what I have a quibble with, if I'm going to go on a little bit of a rant unauthorized by Kristen, if, <laughs> if you're going to do oh, – so no. <laughs> Cosmo, this is your second time – studying millennial women since we've started this show. Before was with Millward Brown, also a very respected research firm. Now Jen Delavolpe, who, as we said, we really like. But if you're going to ask some millennial women some questions, we think you might want to next time ask a millennial woman pollster to help you with that. Just a thought. I, I appreciate the thought, Margie. <laughs> I, I will say there is, uh, among conservative women, there is at least a little bit of beef with Cosmo over things like in the 2014 election, they tried to bring young women to the polls by hiring buses full of male models to drive. Really? Yeah. There's a there's a Twitter account called at uh, Cosmo Feminism that I am relatively sure I know who is behind it uh, that sort of pokes fun at the idea of like, we represent feminism, but also here are eight tricks you can use to pleasure your man. And then it's like just this weird... At any rate. Yeah, it's a different, um, it's a different you know. So interesting survey findings, but bear in mind these come from the newsletter subscriber list from Cosmopolitan.com. I would suggest that is not a representative sample of millennial women 
And I will leave it at that. <laughs> well, Cosmo, regardless, I think, you know, you, it sounds like you could use some advice from a millennial woman pollster to figure this I out. I probably just disqualified but, myself from doing you know, everybody, You know, a good client needs, you know, tough advice from tough love, their, tough tough love. love from their consultant. Okay, <clears> so <throat> we turn from the ladies at Cosmo to the bros at Reddit. Pew did a study. Of... I'm laughing because I'm pretty sure my husband uses Reddit. Like, I think he's... He's probably – I always tell him he's he a programmer a, and he's he's like, no, I'm, I'm not a programmer. <laughs> like if you don't know who the programmer in your office is, you're the programmer. Um, so Pew shows that 7% of adults use Reddit. That's not so high, but maybe another, by another stretch it is high. Overwhelmingly though, of the 7% of adults who do use it, three-fourths get their news there. And about half have learned about the election in, in the past week, which I think is – Pretty incredible. Um, it's probably not a surprise that the election information there and conversation is centered around one candidate, and that candidate would be Bernie Sanders, which, you know, there's a Sanders for President subreddit, um, and people who comment. Most of the heavy commenting is concentrated among a minority of users. About 60% of those who not talked about a candidate in a comment just did it once. And there's about a quarter who left a bunch of uh, a bunch of comments. Anyway, so I thought that was a pretty interesting take on Reddit. I know people think of Reddit as just a place where people like just harass people. That's I, you know I, I've checked out the podcasting subreddit and Reddit, which was perfectly civil. I'm like, oh, this is not just a bunch of crazy bros at all. This is I, perfectly. I think it has to totally depend on what subreddit you're talking about. Right. If it's like cool stuff about space, like it's probably way less bad than you know r slash gamergate or right you know like right there are i'm certainly ways you can stumble into stuff that you don't want to be in but anyway so that's where that's where folks are getting their news or at least that's what's going on at reddit and then lastly the oscars which i have in here because i feel like we should cover it but i did not even watch a highlight clip of chris rock i watched literally nothing of the oscars chris rock uh made it his goal to make everyone as uncomfortable as possible while still making them laugh uh the cuts to the audience while he was doing his monologue which were sort of lampooning uh hollywood for being full of people who proclaim that they are liberals and they are tolerant but uh still don't necessarily in their own business decisions behave with the kind of tolerance and attention to diversity that they might expect uh made a lot of people in the audience uncomfortable kind of was funny to watch at home yeah uh the dresses were okay i actually wasn't in love with anyone's dress except naomi watts she had this like i don't think it was sequins but it was like this beautiful purpley blue thing um he at one point actually his most controversial one of his most controversial lines in chris rock's opening monologue was there's this whole movement ask her more which is trying to say Ask women about more than just what are you wearing. Yeah, mm-hmm. um, and I, Chris Rock kind of got in a little trouble for what he said. I kind of was amused by it as someone who does tune into the Oscars to watch the red carpet, right. and I don't feel like that should be a super strike against my, you know. Um, but he said he he basically in his thing said like, "There's this whole ask her more thing. Like the men aren't showing up and." Cool clothes. Like, not everything is sexism was part of his monologue. And that was another one of those moments when everybody was like, oh, okay. So like, you don't want to ask them more? <laughs> right. Wait, huh? Like, it was so. Right. Um, anyhow. 
Uh, nonetheless, so, well, so funny. There's a funny aside to that to bring it back to politics. During one of the I don't know debates or something, one one of the big nights we've had, uh, somebody was tweeting that. You know, this was becoming like an award show. And then someone tweeted, Jeff Weaver, Jeff Weaver, what are you wearing? <laughs> Who's the Sanders campaign manager? Manny Cam. <laughs> they, I, they, I think they did away with the stupid Manny Cam this year. I did not have to be subjected to anyone's like stupid. Here's what color my nails are. Yes. That's a bridge too far for me. Yes. Tell me about your beautiful gown. Tell me about how you felt about the role you played. I can – I'm down with all of that. Right. I don't need to see your fingernails. No, no. That's too much. But there is some polling about the Oscars. And unlike the Grammys, which we talked about a couple of weeks ago, people do say, well, I'd be more likely to see a movie about a fifth. Say I'd be more likely to see a movie if it, it wins an Oscar. Um, and there's quite a bit of divergence across racial lines, not surprisingly, about some of these questions around diversity. If you could choose, would you like to see Hollywood produce – more films made by and starring racial minorities about the same or fewer. So 10% say fewer films made by and starring racial minorities. I mean, come on, that 10%. I mean, seriously. And so obviously you're going to have big divides along racial lines for that. Um, a plurality say about the same number. Do you think Hollywood films do or do not provide an adequate number of roles for minorities? A plurality say they do. Do you think Hollywood films – do a good job of portraying racial minorities, give in to stereotypes. There it's more divided, 38, 37, and then a quarter say, not sure, um, with real big differences by race with uh, white folks more likely to say things are fine as they are. So anyway, so I don't know if that came up. Did it just come up in Chris Rock only or did anyone else refer to it? At throughout the show. Uh, what, the Ask Her More yeah. stuff? No, or the, like, Oscar's so white. Oh, well, I mean, Chris Rock brought it up the entire time that he was up there. That was what was, I mean, he just, like, continually, like, at one point they had, and he kept making fun of uh, Will Smith and Jada Pinkett Smith. Right. Because I guess they were, like, were boycotting the Oscars. And right. so he, like, made fun of them right. a lot for, like, taking it too far and, like, everybody just calmed down and... You're not actually helping the cause. And so at one point they had um, – oh, gosh. What was the bit? There was a bit where it was – oh, it was Angela Bassett and they had her doing like a like a Black History Month like moment. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was going through like a series of different movies and talking about how like this – act and they're all movies that like Will Smith is in as they're showing the titles <laughs> of the movie. And it's like this actor is like – you know was in this film and he was a musician as well as a comedian as well as whatever. And so that's why this this Black History Month, we're here to honor Jack Black. Because <laughs> Jack Black had been in all the same movies and, like, that's the same description. And it was just this, like, oh, un- that's so uncomfortable. Funny. So he just – he kept – that was how Chris Rock chose to approach it uh, well, throughout the course of the evening. And I think at the end he actually said Black Lives Matter. I was already asleep, but this is what the internet says. Well, the internet is always right. One always thing I've learned right. is that the internet is always correct. So here's what we've learned. Lots of voting, lots of exit polls, but maybe the race is exactly in the same spot as it was Monday. And if the Pope can't defeat Trump, then only the entire country working together can do it. Cosmo, some polling tips to make your audience go wild. Next time, ask a millennial. <laughs> Meanwhile, if you want to know where the Bernie dudes are, check Reddit. Oscars, so important, so white. So over, so long, maybe all of the above. 
You can find us on Twitter at, at The Pollsters and individually at, at Margie O'Mero and at Kay Soltis Anderson. Find us at thepolsters.com or on Facebook, where throughout the week we will post links to the stories that we think are interesting and might be chatting about in next week's show. Be sure to subscribe to us on your favorite podcatcher, whether it's iTunes, Stitcher. Uh, and if you have not yet written a review, we always love to hear from you. Great. Thanks. When we listen to the radio, we never agree on the station. Classic rock. Hip-hop. Pop. Guys, quiet. The one thing we do agree on, we all want an awesome free phone. That's why we switched to MetroPCS. Stop by MetroPCS with the whole family and get four free phones of your choice from brands you love, like Samsung, Motorola, and LG when you switch. MetroPCS. Wireless. Figured out. Coverage not available in some areas. Sales tax not included in phone price. Free phone requires port. Excludes numbers on the T-Mobile network. See store for details and terms and conditions.